This is Chad Brashears, and you're listening to Never In My Wildest Dream podcast. This podcast is about creating a behind-the-scenes look with coaches, fans, and reporters from our point of view, sharing cool stories as only we've lived them. The goal is for you to learn something new to help your life and allow yourself to take a break from everyday chaos and let us give you a behind-the-scenes look into our world. Never In My Wildest Dreams podcast begins in... Good morning and welcome to Never My Wildest Dream podcast, Wednesday, January the 20th, 2021. It is Inauguration Day in Washington, D.C. We will touch on that in a little bit with one of our guests. But before we get to that, let's talk about the world of sports from yesterday. The Pens beat the Caps 5-4 to four in overtime. That's two times they've played back-to-back. Both games have gone into overtime. In the NFL, Patrick Mahomes has passed some steps but still remains in protocol. That'll be the talk of the entire week leading into the conference championship weekend. And men's basketball, Florida hammers number six, Tennessee, 75 to 49. Michigan beats up on the University of Maryland, 87 to 63. Alabama thumps LSU, 105 to 75 in LSU. Looks like Will Wade's having a little bit of trouble not being able to pay players and get the right guys down there, losing by 30. In today's action, the biggest game that I want to talk about is Clemson at the 20th ranking travels to Georgia Tech. I think Josh Pastner and Georgia Tech will upset Clemson today. Looking forward to today's show. First guest will be Greeley Myers, who is a good friend of mine. I met him while working at Shenandoah University. And my second guest today will be Nima Omidvar, who has been all around the world in college basketball. Looking forward to speaking with both of those gentlemen today. And Never In My Wildest Dream podcast will be back here shortly. Never In My Wildest Dreams podcast begins in... Three, two, one... Welcome back to Never My Wildest Dreams podcast. Excited for my guest here today, Greeley Myers. Greeley's a good friend of mine. We met while we were working down at Shenandoah University together. He's the assistant vice president for advancement. He's been there for six years, and he and his family moved to Winchester from San Antonio six years ago for that. Um, Greeley went to McMurray University down in Texas, which actually is a big or was a big Division Three power in basketball, which we'll talk about that. That'll be fun. And he did his master's at Duke, which is why he is a big Blue Devil fan. So Greeley, loved having you on the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun. I'm not as you know qualified as some of your great guests you've had. I've been listening to your podcast since you rolled it out, but... Uh, I really am excited to be here. Thanks, Chad. No, you're very welcome. And trust me, you and I text back and forth during every Green Bay game. We'll get into that side of stuff here as we have this conversation um, with being Green Bay fans together. But, uh, you know, I enjoyed working with you and becoming your friend while at Shenandoah. And through that process, we were able to talk a lot about different sports at every single level. And and you're very knowledgeable. And I think this is going to be a lot of fun. So you went to McMurray which is a strong Division three school, and, and I know basketball at least. Is it strong Division three in other sports as well? Um, basketball is probably their main, their main, thing, main thing. You know, in the, in the 2000s, after, well after my time there, they became a, a really strong uh, track presence. They've got two national tra- Division three national outdoor track championships for men's track. Um, but, but they've been a really good basketball school. At times they've been a really good baseball school. Football has been up and down, uh, but it's a, you know, a, a strong, you know, it's a typical D3 school. Uh, there's a lot of D3s out there in, in Texas. So, um, but yeah, that's kind of what they're known for. They've had, you know, for a period of time, they had two coaches over 50 years. Now they, they've gone through coaches recently, but that's what made them so strong from a basketball perspective. So, I mean, you hit on that a little bit with the, the coaches for 50 years. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that's why Duke is in a position that it's in right now? And we'll, we'll kind of hop right into that since you're a Duke fan. Do you feel as though that's why they've been as successful with having the longevity that they've had? Well, yeah, and I'll be biased here, right? But not only the longevity, but look who they've had in that seat for 40 years. True. I mean, I mean, you know, you can say a lot about Kay, and I know he gets a lot of criticisms here and there, but but who he is, and and arguably probably one of the greatest coaches of all time, if not the, and we could argue that if you wanted to, but um, but it's been who's been in that seat for so long. I think it has made them so strong, and his ability to adapt, I yes. think, has been over his time there has been really um, has been, of course, crucial to their success. So. 
I think a course longevity, but then who's been in that seat. And in Carolina could be the same, right? They had a little bit of, of, of shift of coaches between Coach Smith and Coach Williams. But once you got the right guy in that seat, you almost forget about Coach Guthridge and Coach Doherty that were there. You know, you almost think it went straight from Coach Smith to Coach Williams, which it didn't. So you got to have the right guy in the chair, as you know. The, the coolest part, and we'll touch base on that right now, the coolest part about Carolina, and you're right, I mean, Bill Guthridge just kind of fell in right after Dean Smith had retired, and then Doherty did his thing, even though he didn't wasn't as successful, I guess, as you know the Carolina faithful liked to be before they got Roy. They've kept it in the, in the same family, though, which is kind of cool to me, like, you know, the Carolina basketball family has been in the same Dean Smith blood for a while as well, just like, you know, Duke has had with Coach K. Here's one question for you. You know, I know you're an adamant sports fan. If Coach K is in today's world as a starting coach at Duke, does he survive? Oh, no, Knowing his close. past. He I mean, gets, I, that, you know, you can say, of course, he would. No, he wouldn't. Be. I mean, I, I don't know his exact record over his first three years, Chad, but it wasn't good. And he, and not only was it good, Smith won the title in 82. Mm -hmm. And then Valvano, who came at the same time as Coach K did, won the title in 83 at North Carolina State. Correct. So, um, so no, I don't think he would have lasted at all. And he credits that. I mean, he, he acknowledges that. Yep. And the AD, I think it was Butters, who was the AD then, uh, for sticking with him. Coach K's always recognized that when, when he's talked about that. So, I don't know. I don't think it's close that he wouldn't have been there. Well, you, you know, it's funny. While you were talking, I was able to pull that up here. So, his first year was 1980. went 17-3, 6-8 and eight in the ACC, and they made it to the NIT quarterfinal. The next two years, he goes ten and seventeen and eleven and seventeen. So he goes twenty-one and thirty-four the next two years at Duke, and they're the years that Carolina won it with Michael Jordan, and then Valvano won it with the uh, the miracle, you know, and, and down the stretch against Faisal Majama. Um, it looks like the 83-84 year, they went 24-10, and 10 and it kind of took off from there. So that was really Jay Billis, Johnny Dawkins, and those guys truly saved his career. Well, there's a great, um, there's a great, first of all, two things. There's a great book called by John Feinstein called The Legends Club um, that talks about Valvano, Smith, and Krzyzewski, and it really goes into that in depth. And then there's a great uh, special that was on the ACC Network a couple years ago about the class that, that saved Coach K. And it is that class. It's Billis, Amaker, Dawkins. And then after that, well, actually, Amaker came after Dawkins, but it was Billis, Dawkins, Allery, mm -hmm. and then Amaker came in after that. But it's that class that, yeah, kind of got him on the right on the right path. He got the right guys in there. Um, but that, that's, uh, that was a really interesting time in, in, in Duke basketball. And then it kind of took off from there. And then, of course, you probably remember, the, the thing was, well, he can't win the big one, right? He went to all these Final Fours, yep. but they could never win the championship until 91. So um, as, as a Duke fan, you kind of know all that stuff. But, but uh, I sure am glad that Butter stuck with him many years ago, for sure. Well, I mean, and, and I am too. And, you know, obviously I'm not a Duke fan. And, and, you know, I mean, in football, I'm a Notre Dame fan, which we could talk about that a little bit. But it, as a college basketball fan, you grow up in the state of Maryland, you kind of learn to not hate right. Duke, but you don't like Duke. That was an, I miss the ACC. I don't know how, about how you feel about all these moving and shifting of conferences and all that crap. But the ACC was great. There was nothing better than a Saturday afternoon having Jefferson Raycom sports on, and you could watch a great game with um I want to say it was Mike Jaminski and he I think he's a Duke guy was one of like the main commentators like I grew up on that stuff that was always on the television in my house so I do remember him going to if I'm not mistaken I think they went to three final fours he was a runner-up one time and he it was 10 years it took him 10 years to get his first championship at Duke yeah, it took him. It took him a while, and you bring up a really great point about those. A's. I miss the old ACC I, I, tremendously, and you bring up a good point. I was thinking about my time when I was. At Duke. I did go to Duke, like you mentioned, that my time at Duke, and I and I I was in Camden for two seasons. Basically, I had season ticket as a graduate student for two seasons, and my best memories are not those. I mean, of course, the Carolina games, but my best memories are those Saturday afternoon games. Mm -hmm. um, you, we played Clemson or Virginia, or it was Maryland. And it always seemed like now that's kind of changed because everything's prime time. But those Saturday afternoon games at one o'clock or two o'clock, those were the those are the things that are my best memories of, of being in camera or those games. And I sure miss the old ACC, the Maryland, you know, the Maryland games. You played everybody twice. 
you know, it, I just miss that. And I, 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 I know the, the, the dollar sense, the business sense of why conferences have expanded, but I think you've lost something special, especially with college basketball, when you got rid of some of those smaller conferences and gotten these big, you know, big, huge, major, com- you know, big conferences. Well, you know, you know, you and I talked a little bit before we came on air here, which I, I appreciate you being able to kind of throw a little bit of ideas of what we want to talk about here. And, and fans are key in college basketball. I think... You know, they're key in college football, too. I mean, don't get me wrong. When you put 100,000 people and make it like, you know, Penn State, the third largest city in the state on a Saturday afternoon for a couple hours, as an example, that does make a big difference. But when you put 9,314 people in Cameron Indoor Stadium screaming against the opposing team, you have a home court advantage. I mean, you honestly do. And, yeah. and they've had that for years now. So you were and not to not to pick up age wise, but what years were you at Duke for your oh, masters? Age, that's okay. I'll admit my age. I, I was there in the uh, the seasons of ninety three, ninety four, and ninety four, ninety five, and then I graduated with my masters in December of ninety five. So to put it in Duke context, I was there for Grant Hill's senior year, which he basically singly single handedly led them to the championship game against Arkansas, which unfortunately lost. Yes, he did. Um, but that team really had no business being in the Final Four, to be quite honest with you. But yep. it was Grant Hill that did that. And then the, the second year I was there was the, from a Duke historical perspective, was the year that Coach K sat out most of the year with, with his illness. Did he, was that and a back so injury? You, you went from the high to the low oh, in, I... in two years there. Yeah. <laughs> now, was that his back injury? That was the back deal. Yeah. Yep. That's what that I, I remember that growing yeah. up as a kid. Um, yeah, I remember Grant Hill making that run. And, you know, you, we talk a lot about and you, you hear about the Christian Leitner, Bobby Hurley stuff. And I remember watching that live. I mean, I can tell you where I was sitting when Christian Leitner hit the shot against Kentucky. I was sitting on my grandmother's floor. She had one of those TVs that was like the floor television with like the wooden right. box around right. it. And I remember right where I was sitting when he hit that shot. But Grant Hill doesn't get as much acknowledgement about how good he truly was at Duke. Like, he's not always in those contexts. Yeah, no, he doesn't. Um, and, and I guess I'm, I'm biased because I watched him in person for a year. You know, every game I watched him, you know, for the home games, I was there every home game his senior year, and he doesn't get enough credit. There was a game against, one of my fondest memories of Cameron, there was a game against Clemson. Clemson was good in the 90s. I mean, they were they were solid. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a game against Clemson where he had a hand in the last 21 points, whether assist-wise or point-wise, in a tough, hard-fought, one of those ACC Saturday afternoon games. And that's when I thought, man, this guy is really, really special. Unfortunately, I think injuries derailed him in the NBA, but... But um, he was he was something special at Duke for sure, and it, like I said, uh, basically carried that team to the to the within a, a couple seconds, honestly, the national championship game. Yeah, the and national championship. Yeah. So you t- you brought up Clemson, which was pretty cool. So and on February the fifth, nineteen ninety four, Clemson came to Cameron Indoor and they won seventy eight to seventy four. That that's a war when you're in Cameron Indoor and you only lose by four. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean that's exa- that's the game I think I'm referencing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and there was some yeah there was some great ACC games like we talked about earlier back then you know so that was a lot of fun I I really cherish my my memories of, of that time I lived about a mile from campus in an apartment and you wouldn't drive because of traffic so you just got you know you woke up and you walked over to the campus you walked over to Cameron you stood outside for like an hour because graduate students are different than undergrads with the ticket distribution so we had season I had season pass a season ticket. And uh, so you get there about an hour to, to, to you know, walk in and get your spot as close to the floor as possible. So those are some special times and some good memories for sure. So for people that are listening who have never been in Cameron Indoor for a game, express exactly what it's like. It's electric. Um, it's unique. If you go to the Duke campus, if you ever go to the Duke campus and you look for Cameron, um, now they've built it up a little bit because because they put a lot of money into the basketball facilities and they built a huge kind of performance center right next to Cameron. But back when I went, Cameron was kind of a, you, you could easily overlook it. It's kind of tucked back off the road. It's not this huge structure. It's this old kind of brick gym building. Reminds you kind of like an old high school gym. Mm-hmm. You know, you walk, in on, you walk in on the same level, you know, and you walk in on the same level as the playing surface, and then you go upstairs to the seats, or if you're on the lower level, you walk into the bleachers. Um, so it's electric. It's unique. 
Um, it's now they put some air in now, but back when I was there, they, they didn't have a lot of air, so it's hot as heck. When you're in there for a Saturday afternoon game, if you got a 60 degree day game in February in Cameron, it, it, it's warm in there for sure. Um, but it's a, it's a it's a special place, and um, it, it's extremely loud, um, and so it's yeah, it's just a lot of fun. And, and when I was engaged to my wife, we've been married 26 years now, and I was engaged to my wife. She was still back in college in Texas, and she came out while we were still dating, and I was able to to work some things with Ticketwise, and I took her to one game. And, and she's not a huge sports fan, but she still states, yeah, I got to go one to one game in Cameron. She still remembers that. So um, if it sticks out in her mind, it's, it's a, certainly a special place to watch a game for sure. Absolutely. I mean, I've been to Cameron once. So when I was in high school, we would play a baseball tournament over Easter break because we had a week off being at a Catholic high school in Tarboro, North Carolina. So when we get to Tarboro, we'd usually you'd play like a nightcap game and then you'd have like a usually an off day game or, you know, an off day totally. So we would go and we do the run into the Dean Smith Center type situation and we try to go over to Cameron for a little bit and that type of thing just to kind of get an idea, you know, what it was like around those places. Then we go back to the hotel change and go play or we go watch, you know, who we might play against next in our tournament. But here's my Cameron story. So we are going to Carolina first, and then we were going to hit Durham on the way back to Tarboro. So we go over to the Dean Smith Center, which I don't know if you had the opportunity to go over to that while you were at, were at Duke or just, you know, go around it. But it's this yeah, massive, massive structure. I mean, it's just gargantuan. And, you know, you feel like you're just kind of floating on the floor. You're looking up. These banners are everywhere. These massive jerseys are hanging. And then you go to Duke, and you're to your credit of what you just said – you know, if you don't know it's Cameron Indoor, you're going to walk past it because it kind of looks like just another building. You go in and it has a lobby like every other high school gym that I've been in, and then you kind of just walk in through these little tunnels. Now, I've seen on television now that they have expanded it, but you go in, there's the upper seating above, I call the gold bars there, but the upper seating is yeah. all, all seats, and you have wooden bleachers, which you don't have a lot of wooden bleachers in high school anymore. So it was kind of cool to see all of that stuff. Um, my story was we were in there watching a workout and we got kicked out because Elton Brand was doing a one-on-one workout and we, we they didn't want us in there while he was working out. So that was kind of cool. <laughs> the, the best, and, and I don't mean to derail this whole conversation about Duke, but actually the coolest part when I went there was in the summer. In, you, when you get back in late summer, early fall, before they really started workouts, um, your graduate students did have to camp out uh, to, to get their season tickets. So okay. during the camp out weekend, we were there and I said, hey, you guys need to walk in the camera and take a look. And actually, there are some incredible pickup games that go on in Cameron. And I think they used to go on over in Carolina. And guys from Carolina were there. I mm-hmm. mean, they were there were guys from Carolina and guys from Duke, and they were playing pickup. And that's where you get kind of a special a special feeling about about what how cool that is, and, and we won't get in. We can get into the Duke Carolina rivalry maybe in another conversation, but that's why that is so. That's such a special rivalry, and um, and so some of those. So I, I understand your story. Uh, we got to watch the pickup for a little bit before he got kicked out, but uh, again, that's, that's that's really cool. That's a cool story about Elton Brand for sure. So here you hit on something there real quick. So a lot of people don't realize how I'm not going to say tight. I think. Tight is probably the wrong way to describe it, but the Carolina basketball players and the Duke basketball players really don't hate each other, like people think. It's the fans that probably hate the fans more, but the guys probably do play pickup and hang out and talk and you know probably go to the same barbershop for all we know. But it seems like that's what I've picked up on at different times talking with different people. How do you kind of see it that way, or did you see it that way when you were there? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it's as bitter as the as the with the players it is with the fans. And and now in this day and age, as you know, with AAU ball and stuff, I mean, some of these guys have played together. Absolutely, you know, as teammates. So um, and they know each other because of the AAU circuit. So it's it's a lot different than it used to be. Um, but but the fan perspective, this is what people don't realize about the Duke Carolina rivalry and about North Carolina. The University of North Carolina is North Carolina school, plain and simple. The, the average person in the state of North Carolina, you're a Tar Heel fan. You're not a Blue Devil fan. Duke is the, a private, you know, a private institution 
uh, in the in Durham, North Carolina. That's honestly, as you know, Chad, if you've been there, it's kind of secluded from the rest of the city. Um, it's kind of behind these ivory walls. Honestly, I mean, it, that's kind of how it is. So uh, the rivalry is really between the two fan bases, and uh, that's why it's so intense. Is because it, it, you know, they are eight miles apart. You you always hear that they're fifteen minutes apart. You know, to one campus to the other. So that's why it's really so intense. So you do have some very loyal Duke fans, no doubt. Um, but that's why. It, but that's why I always cringe when you know back in, before COVID, when the NCAA tournament was going on, they would put Duke and Carolina in the same regional. I mean, the same pod. Mm-hmm. You know, they're in different regions, but they're playing the first week and they're playing in the same arena. I hated that right. because honestly, that arena is going to be packed with Carolina fans, no matter who Duke is playing. They're going to be rooting against Duke. It's not a home court advantage. True. So, that's true. Um, that's kind of the way the, the fan, you know, the kind of the, the background on the fan base is there. Yeah, not to hit on like a bitter subject at Duke, but I, I'm a big 30 for 30 guy. So um, I, I watch a lot of those, and I think they're an absolute blast to watch. They're, they're really done well. But I was watching the other day on my phone, Fantastic Lies. And um, it, it's obviously about the Duke lacrosse situation, and it's really interesting in how Durham perceives Duke, and Duke perceives Durham. And it was really interesting. I didn't think of it that way, to be completely honest with you. I thought it more along the lines that Durham and Duke did not like each other. Did you feel that when you were down there? Um, Not necessarily to that degree about um, not liking each other, but but there was definitely a divide. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And Um, yeah. And they did mention in that, um, I guess, that documentary that people do see Duke as the ones with the crest, I think is what they called it, and, you know, the big right. buildings and all that kind of stuff, which I thought was pretty, uh, it was different to hear how people really viewed everything there, which was pretty wild. So Yeah, yeah. Um, for sure. March Madness, you brought up March Madness. How do you think March Madness is going to be with every game looks like being played in the state of Indiana this year? I think it's going to be different. I mean, we talked off air before we came on. You know, I think that now I think there's a lot of parity in college basketball. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you know better than I do, but but uh, I'm not the expert. But I, there is definitely a lot of parity. So I think you're going to see some some really good matchups and some really good games. But I think you are going to miss. Obviously, the environment. But there's no better day, Chad. We talked about this before. There's no better better day than that first Thursday and Friday. No. None. In, it, in the whole sports landscape, all year long, there's no better day than the first Thursday and Friday of the NCAA tournament. And I think what you're going to miss, without them being, you know, being spread out and with without full arenas, is these 14-3 upsets or 15-2 upsets or uh, 4-13 upsets. Because I don't think you're going to have an arena full of fans getting behind a 13 seed when they're down by two with three minutes to go to a four seed. I don't think you're going to have that. So I don't think, I could be wrong, but I don't think you're going to see the huge upsets like you would normally see maybe in the first and second round. I think you're going to see a lot of great games in terms of parity, and I think it's going to mimic the NBA bubble maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's definitely going to be missing what, what what we're used to. And I and I, I really hope <laughs> that a year from now we're in a whole lot better spot. Uh, but I think it's going to be different. As a basketball fan, I mean, I'll, I'll watch. But you and I talked. You know, I, I'm I'm having a hard time kind of getting into this season just because I think college basketball, like you mentioned earlier, does does miss the fans and the environment is just not the same. And so um, I'm glad we're going to have the NCAA tournament, but I think it's definitely going to be different. And I and I do wonder if we're going to have some of those upsets like we normally get. No, I'm with I'm with you on that. I mean, you know, I've been fortunate enough to go to a couple NCAA tournaments. I've been to a couple Final Fours as well, and I've been to the NCAA tournaments to watch the games. And there is this sense in an arena. First off, <clears throat> the student sections or the fan sections of those teams are not very big. They don't get a lot of tickets. They're usually like across from the bench or behind the bench, and they kind of have like four little boxes or what really goes eight boxes, and they come down to four boxes and I mean, it is pretty cool to watch, like, the Duke band come in. Because I did watch Duke when they were up in Pittsburgh a couple years ago. The Duke band comes in and sets up. Duke does this warm-up thing. As soon as their game's over, that band is out, and another band's coming in and sitting in their seats, and they're pumping out music ready for, like, you know, let's just say Virginia Tech to come in and play because they played Alabama that night. And it is pretty unique to watch that environment. And it is a circus. 
the people that buy those tickets are just basketball junkies. And I'm a basketball junkie. You're a basketball junkie. I, I mean, that, that term doesn't sound really great or, you know, proper etiquette, but that's what we are. I mean, we get this sport and we have fun with it. But when you put nobody in the stands, I think it's going to be an unbelievable situation of just blah. The games might yeah. be really good, but you're right. I mean, UMBC fed off of an arena in Charlotte to make that happen. They really did. Right. And, yeah. and and I think that, you know, they upset Virginia because they knew at that point 18,000 and some change were behind them. And it is a big difference. Yeah. And I do believe yeah. Duke. I mean, I, p- I pick on Duke basketball on the show. I'm sure you've heard me pick on him. But I did say with, uh, with one of my buddies who works for CBS Sports that I see Duke losing more games at home this year than a lot of years combined because of the fans. Uh, I, I just yeah. truly believe that. Now, yeah, and I think there's a, and again, you know me because I'm a Packer fandom, and I'm I'm less optimistic just because of the teams I love. I, I am always, I, unfortunately, I'm more pessimistic. But I, Duke has got to turn around. I, I don't. I think there's a real chance they'll make the tournament. Number one, the way they're playing right now. Um, but uh, I, but what it became evident to me about this year is when they played Illinois and Michigan State mm-hmm. in December, mm-hmm. and that it was just a it was a sterile environment. There was no, there was no Cameron Indoor Stadium uh, home court advantage against those games. Now, honestly, the better teams won. And if that arena is full of fans, Illinois and Michigan State probably still win. But uh, they don't run away with it like they did against Duke in those games. In my opinion, there's just no home court advantage. And um, so again, like I said, hopefully a year from now we're in a lot better place. But we just got to trudge through this basketball season. Right now, I think. And, and I still watch because I love basketball like you do, but it's harder for me to get into. Yeah, and, and I'm in the same boat. I mean, you know, <clears throat> the first time the Duke, this is the first time since February 8th, 2016, that Duke was not in the top 25. Right. That, that's a, yeah. that, I mean, but that shows credit too. I mean, you know, we talked about one and dones, and I'm going to get on that in a little bit. You know, um, love Calipari or hate Calipari, he pretty much has ridden the coattails of the one and done rule in college basketball. And the ones that have evolved have won championships or competed at a higher level, a.k.a. North Carolina, Kansas. And one that I honestly did not think was going to go down that rabbit hole was Duke. And Krzyzewski became very good at getting the one-and-dones. And and he's done a really good job of getting those high-profile kids. And with him working with USA Basketball, he's learned how to manage extremely high um, egos, and thoughts of, of themselves as a player. And I think that's why he does as well as he does with those talented kids. Well, you mentioned USA Basketball. And I think that was a big part of it, honestly. Because mm-hmm. when he took the USA Basketball job, I was a little worried about how that would affect how that would affect Duke. And honestly, I think it gave him, and I could be wrong, again, this is just my, my observation sitting for a 49-year-old guy sitting from his couch, right? right? But my observation is it gave him some street cred with yes. some of these guys. Yes. That he could he could coach Kobe, he could coach LeBron, he could coach Chris Paul, he could manage those egos. He could and and in a way that everybody felt good about, right? I mean, so it gave him some of that credibility with some of these one and dones, and I think that's helped him. I just wonder is there another shift coming? Is there another shift that's needed? Because you look at the teams that are doing really well right now, a Gonzaga, a Baylor uh, some of these teams have won championships the last several years. Virginia, what do they have? They had some great talent, no doubt, but they they have age. Mm-hmm. I'm not just talking sophomore age. I'm talking junior senior age. Yes. And I just I'm not saying that he has to. I'm just wondering if he in his whatever he has left is there one more shift that might be coming um, that could that maybe he shifts it just a little bit to try to adapt to that because I think college basketball is changing yet again, and so I kind of wonder how that's going to pan out. And how much, how many years he might have left to kind of navigate that? Yeah, I mean, I think if I'm not mistaken, didn't Kevin White announce he was stepping down as the AD at Duke? He did last week. Yeah, yeah, and and that's a big piece to me because, I mean, listen, Coach K has probably a longer like lifetime contract than the president at Duke. I mean, so that's not where I'm going with this. But when you have guys that you really enjoy working with that make your job a lot easier, I'm sure that that has made Coach K just be Coach K even more. Who knows what the new AD is going to be like? You know, he, does he want to fight against that forty plus years into this thing? I mean, how old is he? Is he is he mid seventies now? 
I think he's like 73. I could check on that. His birthday is in February. Uh, it's like Valentine's Day or the 13th. And yeah, I might be demented because I know that. But um, I think he's either 70. He's going to maybe turn 74, either 73 or 74, I think. You're, you're, you're dead. Listen to you as, as a Duke fan. You're dead on. He's 73 years old, and his birthday is February the 13th. That's kind of that's kind of scary. You must really like this team. <laughs> it's, it's it's sickening, really. I mean, it's sick that I know that. But um, <laughs> but yeah. So I I you know my son and I my my seventeen year old's a huge Packers fan and Duke fan. Poor kid, I'd pass it down to him. But uh, you know, we talk about this all the time. How many years do you think he has left? And, and I think he's got three or four, yep. maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so. So we'll see. Yeah, I think that's that's going to be a key thing. And and don't be fooled. He's picking his he's picking his guy. I mean, yes. whoever takes over for him, he's picking his successor. And I have no idea who that's going to be. But um, he's going to be making that call. So, but it, but the, but there's a dynamic with the new AD for sure that might play into that. Yeah, I mean, you know, you you said about the one and dones and you know Gonzaga and Virginia and those guys. Um, I think that the best part about where the college basketball is right now is it is giving kids who have decided to stay in school and not chase the bag, as they would say, as the kids today would say, chasing the bag to go get the money in the NBA. It's giving them what they deserve, which is, hey, I've worked my balls off for the last four years. I deserve a chance to go win a national championship. And, yeah, for sure. And, you know, the, the one-and-done guys thrive when they're able to have the summer workouts, as you know, the Division three level, we can't do that. But when you are at the Division one level, you have the basically the OTAs for summer ball. Then you have all the fall stuff. And then when you get into season, you kind of know each other by then. These guys really don't right now. The young kids don't know the college game, the college speed, the college work, because COVID has really hampered that. So the ones that have been around the block a little bit are the ones that are able to really be successful right now. I know people were saying, you know, I'll go back to Calipari in Kentucky. Kentucky's struggling early. They lose to Richmond. I said, if Kentucky plays Richmond in February, it's not even close. Because right. by then, the guys have kind of been ingrained a little bit. I say the same same thing with Duke. I mean, Duke's going to be in the same boat. He's going to get this thing righted. I mean, you know, if you we talk about Carolina. So I'll give you a little Carolina scenario just as we're having conversation here. Frank McGuire was the head coach at Carolina from 1953 to 1961. Dean Smith was 61 to 97. Gufford's was 97 to 2000. Darty was 2000 to 2003. And Roy Williams started in 2003, and it's 2021. So they've had five coaches since 1953 at Carolina. And Duke, we already know what their situation is with K. That's why those blue bloods are successful, because there's consistency. And, you know, and I'll, I'll segue consistency right into the next topic that you and I were going to talk about for fun. There's a lot of consistency at Lambeau Field, isn't there? Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> um, you know, I'm a diehard. You're a diehard. We text all games. Uh, we text leading into games. It's it's kind of like a an obsession for me and my and my family and you know that with Kevin and Dad and obviously you've been able to meet those guys and have these conversations but there's just something different about being a Green Bay Packer fan. There is for sure. And it, it is it feels like a family and you know we've been to uh, Lambeau a couple times one time to see a game and you're sitting watching a game on a eighty thousand seat couch is how it feels that's just how it really feels in there and. We've been blessed to have two Hall of Fame back-to-back quarterbacks. Not a lot of people in the organizations, I should say, have the ability to do that. Um, how are you feeling about this weekend? Where I know you're an optimistic guy. Where is your mindset going into the weekend? It's Wednesday. Got a, you know about four days left till we get there. What are you feeling? Uh, I'm I'm nervous. I, I you know we texted on su- Saturday and Sunday. We I did not want to face Brady. No. Um, Brady is Brady. I mean, and I just did not want to face Brady. I I wanted to face Breeze because I thought that I thought the weather would really wreak havoc with them and with him. I don't think the weather's going to affect Brady all that much. Um, on the on the flip side, I was really really nervous going into the Rams game. 
Um, I listened to you and Kevin last weekend, and if it was a call-in show, I would have called in and said, hey, wait a second, guys, you guys are being way too optimistic here. Because uh, I was nervous going into that game, but the way they handled that game and, and what grew for me for that game was the way LaFleur handled that game. Absolutely. You I mean, and I were texting during the game. He had a specific plan, and he was going to run it right down their throats. He was going to beat up their defensive line as much as they could. Now, I know Aaron Donald was not 100%. But he was going to try to take it right to him and then pick his spots. And lo and behold, in the fourth quarter, there was his spot, you know, that that, that play-action pass to Lazard. So I feel confident with LaFleur. You know, he's a young dude, but I feel good about how he prepares and how he gets his guys in situations to be successful. Um, you know, as Packer fans, especially this year, everything kind of, when we do well, right, Chad, it kind of follows a plan. Like mm-hmm. we get up by, by 10 or 14 and we kind of play with that lead most of the game. And the other team might cut it to seven and we might get a little nervous and then we're able to have a last drive or run out the clock or whatever. I'm not so sure that game is going to, the game this Sunday is going to be that way. I, I expect more of a back and forth deal. I really think now if we can get up 10 or 14, I think we're in the driver's seat. Yes. So I think it's going to be a back. I think it's going to be a back and forth game. Um, I think we'll win, and I can't believe I'm saying that out loud because uh, I, I believe I'm this fanatic fan that believes in jinxes and all that stupid stuff. But but uh, I think it's going to be a it's going to be a heck of a game. It's going to be it's going to be a really. I think it's going to be a back and forth game. But I just feel like, and you've talked about on your podcast, there's something special with this idea of of Aaron playing in Lambeau for an NFC championship. And I, and I think that's going to be helpful. He's never done it. Right. Right. So, so he, you know, I go back to, let, let's rewind the clock as far back as we can. Wish we could rewind it back to like before COVID hit and just kind of keep things moving forward without that. But we're not able to do that. But let's rewind back to draft night. Because if I'm not mistaken, you and I texted during draft night, it was kind of like, what the hell are they doing? Right, yeah, they're I was going to, upset. and I was like, "Really? Like they think this cat is done?" Well, as a coach, and and as a competitor, and a guy that was fortunate enough to play college ball, play after college, and then you know get into the coaching realm and coach guys that have been able to do the exact same thing, you always find an edge, and and I always try to talk myself into an edge and jinx myself and play mind games with myself to just get angry and play better. Um. If Gunicus didn't do this on purpose to piss Aaron off, he should probably just freaking admit it. Because he pissed him off to the point of like, screw you, here comes perfection, watch. And he's done that for the entire football season. He's played with the, it's not a chip on his shoulder. I mean, it is the largest chip in the NFL right now. And he has fun yeah, doing it. Yeah, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but not only that, Chad, but, but um, it's... But also the way Aaron's handled it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's not, he didn't come out and really publicly blast anybody. No. You know, he kind of kept quiet. He really didn't say much. When he did say much, he kind of said the right things. And then he, you know, he, he just moved forward. Mm-hmm. And then you got what you got with this season. So um, that's, what, that's what is, I think, has been impressive is he's kind of handled it the right way. And he seems like he's in a whole different place. Mentally, um, mentally. Oh, absolutely. I don't want to say say spiritually necessarily, but he just seems like he's in a different. He's like in a different place, and um, that's been very, very evident. uh, Very, very evident this season. So I just, I sure hope it. I hope it keeps up uh, for for two more games, um, and and we'll kind of see. We'll kind of see what happens. Yeah, you know, um, I sent you a couple of those YouTube things that I found the other day. I think one of them was like the uh, little pump-up video that those guys do on that one channel on YouTube that I subscribe to, which I thought gave me goosebumps. And then the one they did on Aaron Rodgers, the rise of the king or the reign of the king back or whatever it came out to. Um, <clears throat> it was funny because two, three years ago, Aaron was like this enigma. Like, you really didn't know who he was, right? Like, you kind of had an idea, but he was really quiet publicly, didn't say a lot. I find more podcasts that he sits on on YouTube now than ever before. Every Tuesday, I listen to Pat McAfee show, send those to my brother and my dad because we enjoy watching and hearing the behind the scenes of Aaron, kind of who he is. But he did one earlier this year when they talked about the draft. And his agent must have texted him and said they're taking a QB. 
and I don't know if, if you heard this one or not, but he decides to walk to his liquor locker, and he gets out his bourbon or scotch or whatever he drinks, and he said it was going to be a four-finger, which is about filling the entire glass up. He goes, I knew what type of night it was going to be, and that was going to be the last time I had a night like that. I was going to prove everybody wrong. And honestly, he really has. Yeah. He's the league MVP. Oh, there's there's no doubt. In my, you know, of course, I know we're biased, but yeah, there's no, there's absolutely no doubt um, he is. And and well, another thing that I think maybe he's evolved some. And and I was listening to the to the post game shows from the Milwaukee stations after the game Saturday night because I was on such a high, and I think you were too. Mm-hmm. But they really they really talked about the players and especially Rogers were the importance of having what if there was only even nine thousand fans there. Um, yeah, that was, and it's almost like he's kind of bonded with the fan base more maybe yes. over the last year or two, and that was, I think, that was, you know, to, he said to run out of the tunnel and have fans there. And I sent you that little clip, but it, yep. was, it was a commercial break, so we didn't see it. It was during the two minute warning, and the eight thousand fans were chanting MVP, and he acknowledged them. Right, you know, there's a, there, it seems like there's a more of a, a bond there than maybe there has been in the past so it's been a heck of a season and i just i hope we can cap it off the right way it'll be disappointing if we don't right uh but it won't be my son and i have this argument all the time he's you know as you, when you're 17 you're really more black and white on stuff <laughs> so absolutely he tells me dad if we lose sunday it's a failure the season's a failure i'm like i would i would prefer the word disappointment but i don't <laughs> think the season's been a failure because no. it's been a whole heck of a lot of fun and they've been consistently really, really good. And if they get beat Sunday night, it's going to be they really do it to themselves, or, or Brady's just a little bit better. But, um, but I, I hope it's not a disappointment, but it's, it sure has been a fun season, that's for sure. I mean, every Sunday, you know, I go back. We go to a place called Benny's Pub here in Hagerstown. We haven't gone there for every game, but we've gone there for the majority of the games. It's a Packers bar. Um, Big Bill and Little Billy, who run it, father and son duo. They, uh, I think he, Billy had a little brother that passed away, and his name was Ben. So they just called. They, you know, wanted to start a Benny's Pub, and it's a Packers bar, and it's kind of cool as the season has evolved because it was a, it's a normal bar on a Sunday where the Dolphins fan comes in, the Titans fan comes in. As the Packers have been winning, there have been more Packer fans showing up, and then when there's a first down. It erupts when there's a touchdown. It erupts when there's a big stop. It erupts. So it's kind of cool to have that like camaraderie. Almost would be the right word um, because with COVID, you really haven't had any of that stuff. It's kind of cool yeah. to go someplace and enjoy that. Um, yeah. But you know the other the other thing that you brought up about Aaron a little bit with the the fans. He said you run out of the tunnel. I think there was about eight thousand four hundred some and some change there the other day. I think is what I read and. He said it sounded like fifty to sixty thousand, and yeah. and I've been in the stadium and they you know they do the stadium tour and you stand in the one end zone seating section and you yell go pack go and you hear it reverberate off the scoreboard on the other end and it comes back to you and it's even louder and it's really cool how loud that place gets. I mean I couldn't imagine being on the field with eighty thousand going nuts. You know what I'm saying? But Aaron, I think the thing that he's done. Is there's that old saying, you know, you you never realize what you have until you lose it. And, you know, maybe Aaron, from a maturity perspective, when they drafted Jordan, said, I don't want to lose how special this place has been to me. And I think he's changed a lot from that, To, in my opinion. Now, I could be completely wrong, but he does seem closer with the fans and his teammates. I mean, he seems like an unbelievable teammate they're having fun. Alan Lazard was on the Pat McAfee show the other day, and you know they're asking, trying to dig questions out of him, and he's like, "Man, I'm not answering those questions." He yells at me enough when I drop passes. I'm not answering those questions. Right. But it's fun in his face. Very close. And I, I sent you that article that, that uh, Robert Tanyan wrote in the yep. Players Tribune, and uh, they just they seem very very tight. And they, uh, and it, it's maybe not just this year. I mean, Tanyan references the last several years. Um, and account this issue of accountability, and um, so I think that's that's there for sure. And I that's why I'm, I I feel somewhat good about Sunday because I feel like they know what's in front of them. Yes. And uh, but you know again it's Brady, so you know I mean my son said to me the other day he said Dad if we, if we weren't you know if you're not a Packers or a Buccaneers fan 
how good is this? I mean, you know, just to sit and watch it. I mean, because you're, when you got a rooting interest, of course, you're going to be nervous as all get out. But he goes, if you're just a football fan, how, what more would you want Brady versus Rodgers in 24 degrees and snow for the right to go to the Super Bowl? Yes. Um, you know, so that is special, and you have to you have to take a step back to go, you know, that we're really fortunate to, to watch this, and, and I know I'm going to be nervous, but it'll be fun to watch. And, you know, Chad, what – blows me away is, you know, we haven't gone to the Super Bowl since 2010. I understand that. But, you know, this is our fourth NFC championship in the last seven years. Yes. So we've been pretty lucky. I know we haven't won, but we're pretty lucky. There's a, not a lot of teams playing on the last weekend in January. So, no, there's you know, not. And so it's, 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 good to be, it's good to be in that position for sure. Well, and we look, and I look back at them. I mean, last year we, you know, you know, I, <laughs> I coach and – I'm passionate when I'm on the sideline, and and I'm a little bit. When you saw me coach at Shenandoah, I'm a little different because there I was an assistant coach, and the rule was I had to keep my butt on the seat. Right? I mean, if you were to watch me coach a high school game, I'm up and down the sidelines, kind of like Tom Crean. I think the one North game, which is our rival, kind of like our Carolina, I walked like three and a half miles that game wow. in the box. Right? I'm just energetic. I felt sick when San Francisco beat our ass. I mean, I felt absolutely, like, sick. Like, Nolan, you know, talk about a failure. Like, I I felt like we failed that day. Like, I really, like, I looked at that game and I'm like, God, this is awful. Like, this was just disgusting to watch. And we come back this year and we're here again. You know, you're right, though. I mean, the Bills, you know, if you go back to whatever that 30 for 30 was on the Buffalo Bills, they made four Super Bowls in a row. Like, that doesn't happen. And for us to do four times in seven years is pretty awesome, and we are lucky. I mean, I'm looking up right now. It is 72 degrees and sunny in Tampa, Florida. And in Green Bay right now, it is a balmy 24. (laughs) (laughs) And I, you know, I'm not a H. I work at a technical high school, right? Like, we have HVAC as one of the, the things here. So I asked the HVAC teacher. I said, hey, like, how cold can these things get? He goes, if it gets below 50, you're getting ready to break some compressors. You can't make it cold enough to emulate how cold it's going to be at 3.05 on Sunday. Right. You just can't do right. it. And no, I agree. the fact that they're now calling for snow, a possible one to two inches of snow on Sunday during the game, that is... That in itself just, yeah, Brady's played in snow. My brother and I have argued about that, and I'm sure Friday when he comes and we'll argue about it again. Um, that's one dude. You're, you're talking about putting 30-plus guys out there that get reps in between different spots to play in the snow, and we do it every day. And they practice outside. You know, LaFleur yeah. has decided to take and I, advantage I, I, of I that. also think it's a psychological thing, too. Yeah. You know, I, I, think that, I think that they might be able to handle them playing it just fine. But there's still that psychological thing of, oh, well, Green Bay's used to this. And then on the flip side, I think the Packers are like, hey, this is our, this is what we want. Like yeah. there's this like, like psychological edge. So hopefully that plays into it as well. Yeah, we'll I, I totally agree. Um, yeah, one, two things I'm going to throw at you real quick before we hop off of here. Breaking news while we were on the show today, Philip Rivers has retired. You know, a really good quarterback. He was a really um, good I've quarterback. Always watched him. I've always loved watching him play. A lot of people don't like him because of his trash talk. I've always thought it was somewhat entertaining. You never you never got the, you know, you always got his best. Um, you know, I don't think he gets enough credit probably for being the type of quarterback uh, that, he, that he was over his career. Um, I've always kind of liked him off the field. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a, you know, he's got 15 million kids. Um, he's a, I'm joking when I say that, but he and his wife have a lot of kids. He's a strong, and I'm a, I'm a Catholic. He's a strong Catholic guy. Yes, he is. Um, so I've always liked him off the field. Uh, so yeah, I mean, hats off to him. An incredible, incredible career for that guy. Yeah, 17 years. And, uh, you know, the, the thing that I like the, I guess the most about that is he's going out on his terms. You know, I hate to right. see when the guys have unbelievable careers. Me through for 63,000 yards. When you go out on somebody else's terms, it kind of stinks. You know, it's always when you do that, you burn the right to go out on your terms. Um, I wanted to bring that up. One thing that we talked about during March Madness, I took a note down, and I do believe this is true, and I want to get your opinion on it with Coach K. Coach K made a comment. It might have been five or six years ago now in a media session with regards to 
he it was when they wanted to expand the NCAA tournament even more than what it already was. And he made this comment to the to the press. He said, "Don't ruin what is good." For two and a half weeks, the entire country comes together to watch one event, which is March Madness. And the entire country seems to be in an unbelievably good mood during those two and a half weeks. Don't screw it up. How do you feel about that comment? Do you remember him making that statement? I do, yeah. Now, to be fair, I mean, he did argue with the COVID thing. He actually argued for expansion. But that's a, I think that's a whole separate deal. Mm-hmm. But um, I do remember, yeah, no, I do remember that quote. And I think he's right. Again, you know, don't screw it up and don't. I think you're. I told you earlier in the conversation. The best two days of this. I mean, I don't care. They're the best two sports days ever. Forget the Super Bowl. Forget bowl games. Forget all that stuff. That Thursday and Friday, the tournament are just fantastic, and everybody is in a good mood. There is, and so I hope once we get out of this COVID stuff, we go back to the you know all across the country. You know, games on from noon to midnight, and uh, absolutely, I hope it stays absolutely the same. Yeah, I, I do too. Um... I know you're a busy guy down at school. I know school's kind of probably, you know, COVID has probably not been the easiest thing to navigate with regards to advancement. Um, but I really wanted to have you on, and, and, and it was an honor to have you on. I, you know, it's even more of an honor to call you a close friend and a good friend, and I appreciate you being that to me. Um, I look well, forward I appreciate it. I appreciate that, Chad. I really, I mean, of course, you know how I feel about you and, and our friendship, and it's been an honor to know your family, get to know your family, and... Uh, so this has been fun for me, and you know, you don't. I'll, I'll be happy to always jump back on at a later time. But it's been a lot of fun to have this conversation. So really, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. I want to have you back on. Um, I know we'll look at some schedules. I really would. I haven't really, honestly, pulled up the basketball schedules because I've, I've kind of been stuck in uh, in Wisconsin a little bit with my mind here on looking different things up. But when we get close to the Duke Carolina game, I'd love to have you back on. We can kind of talk about the ins and outs of that, especially through the experience of somebody that lived it. Sure, that'd be great. That'd be a lot of fun. Okay, cool. Well, uh, you know, Greeley, I really appreciate your time today. I uh, look forward to our text as we get closer to Sunday and obviously through that, but uh, hopefully you have a good rest of your week. I will. Thanks, Chad. Have Thank a good you. one. You too. See ya. Never in my wildest dreams podcast begins in... Three, two, one. Absolutely love having Greeley on the show. He is a, uh, like I said, he's a really good friend of mine. He's a great guy. He knows sports. He's been around the block a little bit. We text back and forth about a lot of different things. And even when we're not, you know, talking sports, we're able to talk life and family and stuff like that. And it's uh, it's always a good conversation. 